Welcome to the Farcast here at Shadron State College. I'm Daniel Binkert with Alex Helmbrecht, and today with us is Scott Cavan from the CSC Theater Program, and someone who I've worked with for quite a few years here, photographing the plays and various other theater-related projects. So, Scott, great to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, to start off, our usual question: Where, who are you, and where do you come from? What's some of your background in theater, and how well, did you? How end far up? back do you want to go? I mean, we can well, talk about how my parents met, but we can we can maybe start a little bit before that. <laughs> I'm thinking right at the very beginning. You know, whatever, yeah. whatever it feels uh, reasonable for you. And, and uh, you know, how did you end up at CSC? Oh, that's, you know, I actually never had much experience in theater in high school. I just never got involved with it. I was always involved with other things and it never was a part of my life. Um, got involved. I worked at a toy store for a while. And this is going way back. Worked at a toy store for a while and the people there got me involved in the community theater there. And I started playing with that. Um, Went off, worked on the oil fields as a helicopter mechanic for a while, um, came back to California. They transferred me back, and I decided I didn't want to go back to Louisiana. It's just too humid, too yeah. hot, too ugly. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and but and moved down to the L.A. area, and then um, through circumstances, got everything, I every tool I owned, got ripped off, got stolen oh. out of the garage. So that ended that career. <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> that, I mean, because you, they don't, uh, the, most mechan mechanics, they, you don't, they don't so, um, give you tools. You just have your own. Um, and once that happened, it just, that ended that. <laughs> but, you know, it was, that was fun for a while. I got, you know, oil fields and experience down there. And, you know, I have my pilot's license because of it, but I haven't flown in, God, over 30 years. Wow. So, but anyway, um, so I was living with um, a friend of mine, good friend, and he was doing um, acting lessons down in L.A. And he says, you remember that community theater? You were really good at that. You should try that out. And so I found a community college in L.A. and started going to school and it, everything just clicked. Just nice. clicked automatically. Just everything just fell right into place. So, so this was in L.A. in, in what, the 80s? or Yeah, it would be um, around 84. <laughs> Five. In fact, um, I can pretty much tell you, unfortunately, the exact day that I started going to school down there, because it was the exact day that the space shuttle blew up. Wow. Oh, the Challenger. <laughs> yeah, the Challenger. Right. It was that exact same day. Wow. Um, so my first day of school was work, you know, we were, um, that was prominent mm -hmm. more than anything else. And um, so, but as, you know, going, moving forward, Got involved in tech, got involved in acting, and um, and so, you know, working there and also um, working in other theaters around the L.A. area. I would go, literally go, I could spend a weekend going from one job to another throughout the weekend, a couple hours here, a couple hours there, um, loading in a show here, going, um, building another show somewhere else. And I was just enjoying myself immensely with doing that. Um, the instructor says, you know, a couple of instructors pulled me aside one day and said, yeah, you need to, we need, you need to be better. <laughs> and they said, here's, here's an application for a scholarship to a college in Columbia, Missouri. Um, go ahead and fill this out, see what they have to say, see it, you know, apply for it. And, um, that started the whole, it was in Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri. Um, 
And I didn't know until I actually got there that it's an all-woman's college. <laughs> who they bring they bring in um, male performers, male that call it the male apprenticeship program, and they bring in um, male tech performers and um, male actors to fulfill some of the roles that they need. They can't. There's um, unfortunately there's not enough all women cast. You can only do quilters so many times. Um, and, you know, so I found that out and it just, it was a, just a wonderful experience, um, a unique experience. And I stayed, you know, um, the trick was that they would only support you for two years. Okay. So you had to graduate in a, with a BFA in theater in two years. That's busy. That's very busy. <laughs> a lot of it was, um, I had a lot of... Um, Courses from other community colleges, from where I was, and so on and so. So that's you know why they bring in people from community college because some of the the what we call essential studies or general studies um, was already fulfilled. Right. So it was you know an average about eighteen twenty hours semester, and then um, all of your other related duties, which was working in the shop. 10, 15 hours a week and so forth. And um, then they'd shove you into roles because um, usually walk on roles. Just, they need, oh, we need, a, we need a man here. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and so, but from there, I went in and um, took a year off in between and then started at Illinois State. Um, about, it was in normal Illinois, about two hours south of Chicago. And so that was, you know, again, just loads of fun, enjoyable, got to, you know, design degree out of that and also picked up um, connections within Chicago and working. Um, Again, weekends spent going up to Chicago, working different venues, different places and so forth. After that, just um, spent time traveling, gypsy lifestyle, touring Never liked it. <laughs> well, so were you were you acting or were you providing tech? In, oh, providing in tech. Okay, providing tech. I've always been more of a tech person. In fact, um, one of the first acting classes that um, I was enrolled in, the instructor you know pulled me aside and and very nice, very in a nice way said, "You're going to be a tech. You're going to be a tech design major, aren't you?" I said, "Yeah, now I am." <laughs> <laughs> that's constructive criticism. Yeah, yeah that's constructive criticism. That is best. Um, just a ca- very casual question, but I, you know, understood exactly. And I, I knew I, I was never much, you know, of a performer. I never was um, comfortable, to, you know, taking. Well, I never comfortable being confined into a role. I would, you know, never much to follow the lines or anything like that. So that's horrible to say, but that was just who I was. Can you kind of explain the difference between, I suppose, those behind the curtain and those in front of it for our listeners who who might Um, not be aware of that? Yeah. A lot of um, what you'll find, um, regardless of the cast size, there are as many people behind the scenes making sure that everything happens as it should. Um, it could be somebody who um, will make sure all the props are there for the performer when they come out and they can instantly grab something and take it back out on stage. Or it's a matter of just making sure 
um, like the assistant stage manager will be backstage and the stage manager will be up in the booth calling the show, uh, making sure all the lights and sound cues go as they should. Such, you know, such a simple idea of a telephone ring. If that telephone, if the telephone ring doesn't happen when it should, um, then the performers are just lost. Mm -hmm. They just don't have nowhere to go. They, you know, ad lib and all of a sudden the audience, unless they're really good at it, the audience picks up immediately that something's wrong. So basically a lot of the backstage um, backstage crew is, are, is there um, to make sure that nobody notices them and to make sure that um, everything that's happening on stage um, is natural unbelievable um there's this um term that's very it's very common term is that suspension of disbelief is that um, ultimate belief that whatever is happening on stage no matter how ridiculous how otherworldly how unrealistic it is that is the truth that is happening right now even with you know we just did a performance of evil dead um completely unrealistic but we, as an audience, the audience wants to believe in what is happening on stage as reality, no matter how unrealistic it is. And so um, the backstage crew makes sure that everything is available, everything works as it should, um, going so far even within Evil Dead. Um, the, um, at the beginning of the show, when the trap door springs open, is that idea of somebody, you know, somebody had to be down there to push it open. And you may have seen their hands or something like that. But is that not breaking the audience's belief in what is happening on stage as reality? Because as soon as that breaks, then what ultimately happens is that the audience has to regain that belief in some form or fashion. And that takes time. So when they're trying to regain that belief, they're missing information that's crucial to the story. And so the backstage crew is ultimately there to maintain that suspension of disbelief. Yeah, I like the way you describe that, that uh, if they're doing a good job, no one's going to notice. And exactly. <laughs> really, we try to do the same mm -hmm. with, with our jobs. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all that back-end work that you have to get working and, and get finished. And, and then what the audience sees is effortless. Exactly. Right. Well, no, I mean, that's, and that's the, that's the key. That's not how you know when you're good at what you do. When people, and this sounds horrible, when people believe that they can do your job. When you have people believe you can do, they can do your job, then you know that you're really good at it. And they reach have, the pinnacle. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they have, you, know, it's that, you make it, it look so simple, so effortless. Right. Anybody could do it. And, you know, I've, just, I've had, you know, students who say that. I said, yeah, okay, come here, sit down. <laughs> sit down. Here's my day. <laughs> and they go through and they go, oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All of that. Yes, all of that. All of that goes into it. And, it, then it, you know, it's one of those moments where you take a look at them and go, you're going to do this one day. Yeah. And they go, Okay. How much extra, if you could give it a percentage, if we take a main stage show in the auditorium with a big set mm -hmm. and lots of lighting changes and sound cues compared to a simple black box uh, show that's just in the literal black box with minimal set, what's the difference in terms of preparation and, and technical back-end work? That's, that's a really good question because uh, oh, it depends. Um, 
You can't really, uh, in a lot of ways, you can't really compare a large auditorium show. No, I mean, I, I grabbed the two completely no, different uh, but scenarios. But actually, actually it, works, it works out well because um, in some cases, um, Odd Couple, which we did um, last year, yeah. was actually a very simple show. Okay. To uh, tech wise, um, as opposed to um, if we go back and we go back to um, way back to Vampire Cowboy trilogy, where the tech within that was much more. And that was a very minimal set, wasn't it? That was an incredibly minimal set. Um, in fact, we're going to, you know, we're doing um, She Kills Monsters by the same playwright. Right. Um, similar um, stage combat techniques and so But it's going to be, the tech on that is going to be so much more than, say, Odd Couple or Charlie's Aunt before that. Evil Dead was a lot of um, combination of tech lights and so yeah. forth. So it's, you know, percentage-wise... Um, you know, some shows require more, some require less. And the ones that require less, it's simply that idea of, from my end, I've got experience with this, so I can keep it, make it simple in a lot of ways. And um, some of the stuff that we had no idea what we're doing. Um, and that's, you know, it doesn't come up often, but every so often we just, you know, we experiment, we have, we select a show, we have no idea what, how we're going to do this. Um, but so what? We'll figure it out. Can you give us an example of one of those that you've had in the last few years? Hmm. You know, honestly, um, at the college, not so much. We've always been, you know, pick shows that we had a pretty good idea of how we're going to end up doing out at the Post Playhouse. Okay. We do, you know, there's a lot of, um, we have, you know, don't have an idea. We have an inkling on how to do something. Um, but it, re- it comes down to experience and so on and so forth. And um, we'll figure it out. We got a lot of um, talent, and a lot of brain trust out there that put them all together. We can accomplish anything. Very good. Scott, how long have you been at CSC and uh, involved with the theater program? And, and when did you kind of know you wanted to teach? Um, I've been here since um, 96, and I'm just afraid to do the math on that now. <laughs> um, teaching, I would say um, I enjoyed, when I was in grad school at Illinois State, I enjoyed um, teaching some of the courses, doing some of the um assisting some of the professors there. Um, but it wasn't until um, after be at, you know, being on tour and then um, one of the first jobs that um, we got into was at a small theater in Albany, Georgia, and um, Theater Albany. And it was working with community members, working with people who just enjoyed what they were doing. And um, that kind of you know, kind of set the tone. I said, okay, you know, I kind of like the idea of sharing this information. Um, I kind of like the idea of um, having to continually um, learn new things um, as we can move forward. Um, so that you know, and when the opportunity came up, you know, it just seemed right and natural. I didn't want to. It didn't necessarily want to head to a large school. Um, smaller schools always seem to fit better for what I want, for my personality and so forth. And things worked out. You've been here ever since. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I, with, all, with all honesty, I'm not sure whether that was 
ever intentional. Um, it was more along the lines of, oh, I'll be here a few years and I'll go, you know, somewhere else um, until I find a place that um, fit. And all, what ultimately happened is this place became a fit for what I wanted to do and working with the students, working with um, students from small high schools who come in and um, we, they want big ideas and so on and so on and try to accomplish that while we're here. And, you know, we've got a huge alumni out there working in the field. Um, people who, you know, probably didn't have any idea of um, what they could accomplish. And that was always been very satisfying, especially here at Shadron. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what are we on here? Well, Scott, you've mm -hmm. been in the business for a few years. What kind of uh, changes have you seen in theater in general over your career or what stands out to you? I would, you know, I would say, honestly, it is has to do more with um, the tech side, design side. Um, I mean, when I first start, when I first started here, um, computer-aided drafting was in its infancy, not a lot, and um, I was still doing pencil work for everything, which was pencil work is immediately um, one of those things that is a it's calming, it's reassuring, it's very nice to be involved with, but it's incredibly slow. Um, so the computer drafting helped out with that. And as we move forward, computers becoming um, more and more a part of um, theater on a whole. The color changing, you know, LED lighting, yeah. the use of projections, um, use of digital sound um, has all grown tremendously to the, to the point where um, doing productions without it seems like it seems impossible. So that's that, you know, the whole color um, LED and there's just a tremendous amount of um, possibilities out there. Even so much going with you can move, you know, a lot of the Broadway shows have computer rated scenery that moves tracks on and off stage. So they always hit the same spot. Um, give you an example. I went to a um, performance of Lion King in L.A., a touring production. And... Um, one of the first things I notice, because being who I am, I look up and don't look at the stage. Um, <laughs> sure. like, how are they doing that? What are they doing? What are they using? How can I use that? Um, well, I realized that they had very few lighting instruments, but they were all moving, color changing. And so the lighting instruments simply changed and adapted for whatever they were trying to create. And so they get away with less than what was what would be normal. That's the the, the plays that I, I've seen, professional or otherwise, um, that always stick out to me are the ones that do exactly what you just said. Mm -hmm. They do more with less, and so it kind of goes back to your point where they're doing it so that it seems like anyone can do it. Right. But really, that isn't that isn't the case. But one of those one of the and it's certainly not new tech at all. But a thing that always intrigues me about theatrical performances are, are stages that have a round, mm -hmm. uh, like the round table that moves yeah. and, and how well the actors can yeah. use that. And oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. The idea of the turntable. Um, did we have a set that did that a few years back or part of it? Um, we've used a turntable for importance being earnest. 
um, before the, prior to that, Greece. Um, that must have been Ernest then that I remember. Yeah, it probably was okay. Ernest, where we flipped the stage going from right. one location to another. That's right. I do remember that. Mm -hmm. That was pretty yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. That's and, a fun play. Yeah, that is a fun play. Um, and we, you know, um, there's always a possibility of it coming up again. But, you know, again, it's one. that's one of the things that is slowly... I don't want to say going away because, I mean, they just built um, a huge turntable down in Scotts Bluff in the WNCC theater they built. It, they included a turntable in, within that. Um, I could, um, boy, I hope I'm not wrong about that and it's not in a different place. Um, but um, it's always, you know, it's always a part. And it's, you know, and you, you include these, you build these into theater spaces, all this different ways of changing or moving from one place to another. Mm -hmm. Well, and I guess along those same lines, talk a little bit about the theater facilities that, that we have. I, I think people are aware that we have a black box theater and, mm -hmm. and of course, the auditorium and Memorial Hall, but there's a, a costume shop, a yeah. scene shop. Talk a little bit about those. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, most people are very familiar with the um, auditorium space. Um, Big, you know, our large, large space on campus, um, and it, you know, with the fly system and so and the equipment that we have within it, it's very flexible. Um, people are, you know, we, people may not be as familiar or actually kind of, I don't want to say scared, but hesitant about the black box theater because they view it as more experimentational, something that um, we may not be interested in, but a lot of the shows we do up there are very normal shows. That's a sure, horrible, sure. Yeah. horrible no, way No, I think it. you're right. Um, I think that intimacy factor, too, is an interesting mm -hmm. difference that you know, any of the shows I've been to with a crowd up there, yeah. it, it doesn't matter if they only have on, on, on two sides of the space or all four sides, you're that much closer to the actors, and that's that's just different. It is. It's very different. It's a it's a much more personal experience. Um, when well, I'm assuming it's different for the actors as oh, opposed yeah. to mm -hmm. just you know playing to one plane of eyes. You're playing yeah. to three or four. Well, it's that not only that, but within the um, auditorium space, the lights serve at, you know kind of blind the actors' eyes. Yeah. So they, it serves as a barrier, and a lot of times they can't see the audience within the black box. You're, they're right there. Yeah, mm -hmm. they. You know they're there. You can hear them breathing. You can see the expressions on their faces. So, for a performer, sometimes these smaller spaces are more rewarding because you they can see the immediate reaction. Um, but we also have um, a costume, a fully functional costume shop. We build, in fact, um, most of the costumes for um, Miss Julie coming up was built by our costume our costume staff. Um, costume, we had a costume construction course um, taught by Phoebe Boynton this last year, and they built a good portion of the costumes being used within this, within Miss Julie. Um, we also have a, a scene shop over in um, Burkheiser, um, which we are constantly making noise for other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it works. It works really well. It's a nice big space. It gives us plenty of room to do what we need to do. We can set up um, a set, it, like for the auditorium. We can set up the entire thing in there and and paint it and get it. You figure out all the details before 
we bring it over here and put it into, into the space. How much of your set materials are reused? I can remember when I did high school theater, there was a, a piece of wood that had students' names from like mm -hmm. the 80s and early 90s on it and when I was in high school in the late 90s. And and so, of course, we had to sign our name to it. But I bet sure. it had been repurposed 20 times. Oh, there's um, – it's it's kind of funny. Miss Julie, um, the what we – Selected. One of the things we did, one of the things I wanted to do for this particular show was wanted to apply texture to the walls, which we don't do a lot of because once you apply texture to the wall, um, it may, makes it unusable to be used again because it's, it's impossible to peel the texture off. Um, but we had enough um, material and um, wall stock. We keep a... We have probably about 50 walls sitting in the upper deck of the auditorium in this small little storage space. And we needed to clear it out. So we're, I said, we're going to do texture on these. We're going to pull out all these old walls, walls that I just want to get rid of. And I'm as I were, we're pulling them and I'm taking a look at this, I'm going, we're going back 10, 15, 20. <laughs> I'm like, goodness, <laughs> why do we still have this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's, you know, Miss Julie is primarily a... Um, walls that were built by students um, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, and so we, you know, we pick and choose what, depending on um, can, will we reuse this again? When, how long will it sit here before we reuse it again? Um, do we have the space to, put, to store it? Um, and so forth. So we all of those questions, when we tear anything down, we go, okay, do we have a use for this? Or do we just take it all apart and um, reuse all the lumber? Um, a good part of Evil Dead was um, Leo Hasehorst did the design work. He's a former student. Um, and um, when I saw the design, I said, okay, well, nearly everything has to be built. But what we'll do is we won't build it to be permanent. We won't glue and staple. We'll just go ahead and screw everything together so that we can pull everything apart easily and then all that lumber gets repurposed into the next show or the show beyond that. Yeah. So we do a lot of that. That's a good part of the planning um, even before we begin build is right. to figure out what, you know, what are we going to get back from it. Well, I suppose the same goes for props and oh, costumes. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. We have. Um, I wanted to ask about the props because I've seen the some of the collection. And yeah. I just remember this basket full of cell phones of any vintage you could ask for. <laughs> do you guys have like an inventory or uh, I know they're organized, but how do you how do you go and say, all right, I, I need this thing and I'm going to mm -hmm. go grab it? Mm -hmm. We, we it, it is um, very organized. We have things, um, props, um, organized by. You know, medical supplies. We have drawers of medical supplies that we've had from um, old shows. We have drawers like cell phones. We needed, um, we needed, and you can. It, what's surprising is um, you can go buy um, demonstration models of cell phones. They're not oh, sure, not working, sure. but for stage work, they work perfectly. Mm -hmm. Look, look just like a real cell phone, yeah. and so forth. So you know, we have baskets of those. We have baskets of. Um, you know, dismembered limbs. Um, we have baskets <laughs> of, yeah. of shrunken heads. Um, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, I remember years ago, um, one of the things that we kept, 
looking for was a you know one of some of the old freestanding radio units, the tall ones, yeah. Oh, yeah. the old Victorian, um, so on and so forth. And we didn't have any. We just going through shows. Um, we said, "Well, we need something that would be perfect right here." And then one summer, I'm at a at, a, at an auction, and they have like four or five of them sitting there. I said, "Okay, I'll I'll go ahead and um, bid on it." And not thinking I'll get it, but thinking it'll be horribly expensive. I bought four of them for four bucks. Perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they all went down, and they all and we they've been brought out and so forth. And so we, you know, odd things like that. How often do you run into a situation where you need to source a new prop for a show, or is the collection robust enough now? There's always an issue where we need to buy something new. Um, or how much do you make something versus buy something? Is, it, is that a possibility? That's, oh, that's it's a very definite possibility. Um, again, going back to just recently, Evil Dead, we, ha we built the moose. That hung on oh, the yeah. wall, the pup, moose puppet, because we needed um, it to be a puppet. We needed it to sing. Um, we knew we there, there were probably um, taxidermies we could get a hold of. But then again, we realized those would probably end up being too big, too heavy. And they would not, without them being stuffed, they would not support their own weight. So we needed something that could support its own weight and then have somebody's hand get in there and yeah. use it. So some of this more specialized ideas. Um, a lot of the specialized props, like the um, chainsaw that he wore as a hand, that, stu that stuff was um, borrowed from um, former student, former alumni, former faculty, um, Ruth and Eric Nielsen down in Hastings. And I knew they had done the show, so I got a hold of them, and I, they were showing pictures that were just amazing. We got the book and a whole bunch of different things. So all of those I nice. specialized ideas that are show specific, um, we end up having to build or create. I remember the the uh, Audrey plant monster from Little Shop of Horrors mm -hmm. was a, a rental, right, from right. a supply house or whatever. Well, it's you know it's um, that was you can go you there are a lot of people who um, rent those things, um, but we managed to find one that were built by um, where they build you know puppetry and, and mascot costumes and they had two or three of these and you know they're just amazing people um very nice and they said yeah go ahead you know we'll give it to you you need to practice with it we'll give it to you for this much money and um you know, rent it out to you and shipping and so on and so forth it was just great it was amazing because i've so thankful because i've been i've done that show four times and now, three out of the four, I had to rebuild the plant. <laughs> <laughs> well, we lucked out. <laughs> so we lucked out on that one. I was, I, I thought I was uh, going, I, I am not rebuilding another plant. <laughs> it's just not happening. I suppose not. Yeah, it's probably a process. I would well, it is. It's, it, a lot of them, a lot of people that build, uh, that end up building the plant, build them for one use. But then they realize they put so much time and effort into it, and there's people that are willing to rent that um, you know that's one use becomes uh, multiple uses. Um, you know they they figure what they have they'll build it out of metal and so on and so forth and mm -hmm. cover it. Um, it becomes you get it and it's too heavy <laughs> for what you you know what you want to do to or even have the mouth open up and down. Um, so you got to you know usually 
we bought those elements and strip them down, refabric them, and um, get them to work. So what's a what's an item or a, I guess a set that, that you've had to build before that you're really proud of? Something that maybe took a lot of time or a lot of effort. Hmm. Is there one that rises to the top of your memory? There's there's always been um, unique challenges. I think some of it is um, you know taking any of the black box shows is making. Oh, we got one that's going to blow everybody's mind, um, but I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> um, actually, it's the fourth show. It's the Great Beyond and the Ghost of Splinter Cove, where we are going to we have two completely different sets, and we have to change in between them in the black box. So that that's going to be fun to engineer. Um, but there's you know just a lot of different shows. Each of them um, making them at you know being in one place for so long you tr you want to make each one unique you add elements into each one um some elements you bring back after a while some elements you um i think for um money shot um taking place in the hills of los angeles out on a patio um doing an overhang piece that yeah. um, hangs over part of the stage and yet doesn't for anybody standing underneath of it does not hamper any of the lighting or and so it's making those mm -hmm. um type of things we did um long time ago a couple my first two or three years crucible where we had a um hanging framework that changed position depending on the mood of the show so nice. it was it was you know for for some of it, it was for the jail scene it flattened out so that it looked like a jail, the jail bars, and then it would go um, flat against the stage and so on and so forth. So creating things like that where I've always been enjoyable. I remember the uh, the mathematical elements on the set for Proof. Mm -hmm. Was that 05 or so? And uh, I always liked the idea of fractals and that kind right. of thing. And I know that, uh, I can't remember who the... It was, was Adam, it? Adam Spencer. He was the designer mm -hmm. for that, yeah. And he was uh, you know, trying to pull all those elements in. Yeah. It was just cool to see. Oh, I mean, that's and the, um, that's what you want to try to do. Is you want to try to, um, with the idea of fractals and so on and so forth. Or the idea of when you go to something like the nether we did um, three or five years ago. Um, incorporating being able to go between a harsh reality to this virtual fantasy world. Um, what do we what do we need what do we accomplish put yeah. into that and create? How, so, how oh, sorry Daniel, how important is design to a production? Talk a little bit about that. Um, every design has a every production has a design. Even if the production is done in a bare stage. Um, even that, because we are so visual today, everything we want, we watch everything. So the audience is going to build an interpretation, build ideas, even if it is a bare stage. Um, so there's a design, and sometimes it's um, we put the design into the floor. Use the floor to go ahead and create mood and atmosphere. How we paint the floor, how we treat the floor, and um, so forth. So that's all. You know, part of that is always design, and part of that, and even going back to um, the play about the baby, in which it was um, simply 
um, it was done in thrust, three sides, audience on three sides. And, you know, the background was simply hung pieces of muslin spattered and then two chairs out front. Um, even that is just, is, you know, simplicity of it um, speaks because the audience will go in and see that if they're, say, like five minutes or that gives them five minutes to develop. This is what the show is about. This is where we are. And so forth. So it becomes important. Mm hmm. So it's a, it, it assists in creating an atmosphere for the audience, but also for the those on stage, for mm -hmm. the actors themselves. Very much so. So it's and so it's you know that matter of it's always fun um, to bring high school students who don't you know get a chance to work in a, with a lot of tech to see they see the show they see it out from the front and then you take them around the back and see how the whole thing is just really this mis mishmash of different walls, different ideas, and how they get to stood up and so on and so forth. It's um, looking behind the scenes, so to speak. Yeah, fantastic. I've always liked those plays that show the behind the scenes stuff, like, what is it, Noises Off? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I oh, think yeah. they made a movie of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Scott, I want to ask you a little bit about the the structure of, of the, the program here has shifted a little bit since Roger Mays retired. Mm -hmm. And we've got uh, we've got guest directors and, and visiting uh, uh I don't know, assistant faculty, whatever it might be. Uh, tell us a little bit about how things are arranged now for theater students and the faculty. Right now, it, I mean, it's we started a well. Actually, we kind of started this years ago. This concept of um, bringing um, performers to Shadron State, um, and that ultimately led from the idea it's that it became harder and harder to take students somewhere of significance and provide them with a significant amount of time working with professionals or even just meeting professionals. Um, the idea of just meeting professionals is is wonderful, um, but ultimately you're limited like two, three hours. Um, makes an impact, but there is no um, learning experience involved with that. So, um, and this started back with Big River with Kevin Williams. Yeah bringing Kevin Williams in for that production, having him work with the students, um, the students' you know, um, enthusiasm and learning experience from that grew, you know, was a huge growth. And so, you know, trying to find a, the money available to keep bringing students in. Um, guest per, um, artist in, we brought in, excuse me, Amy Campion, um, to do the set design for Peter and the Star Catcher. Again, she worked with the students. She you know, worked with the scene painting and so forth. And um, that was, you know, so it it always, always was a positive experience. So one of the first questions when I was, you know, asked um, was, well, Roger's retiring. Who do we, what are the criteria for replacing him? And I thought about that for a while. I'm going, well, how do you just replace one man, one person that's been here so long? Yeah. Um, and I went back and said, um, we re replace them with multiple people. We bring in somebody different every semester um, with a skill set for that semester, for those shows. Um, David Craven this year, um, strong um, background in um, musical theater 
and dance. And so that worked out well for um, Evil Dead. Next semester, we'll bring it in um, Jen Porch, who um, has a strong background in stage combat and so is a certified stage combat instructor. Um, and she's also a strong um, performer in children's theater. What, you know, the Great Beyond and Ghost of Spoon Style is not necessarily children's theater, but it was written for all audience. So it was, you know, bringing those people in and um, being able to expose the students to them where it has worked out very well. Yeah, just hearing some of the comments I've got heard from uh, theater students mm -hmm. that being exposed to those different viewpoints gives them, uh, I think, some better ideas on how to solve problems or how to run it. I think it was um, who our stage manager. Right. Uh, was it Courtney Smith was previously stage manager yeah. for Evil Dead? Mm -hmm. And um, seeing how David managed that show gave her new insights. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things is um, there is – not there is never just one way to do anything. Um, there is never you know there are thing there are different methods that work for some people. Some performers like certain acting methods that I'm going to approach this script this way and use this method to go ahead and create my character. Other performers will do something completely different. Or for some performers, it is you know this script is. Um, surrealistic so I'm going to use this particular method and so bringing in different people that will expose um, the students to different trains of thought different methods was you know part of this and bringing them in and exposing them to this because if they if they go out and work in professional theater you're going to find so many different people and yeah. all of them are going to work differently mm -hmm. so being able to adapt is a big, big part of it. Yeah, you're really setting those students up for future success and maybe even some networking opportunities exactly. with these individuals as well. Exactly, and if they you know, and especially students um, that are going to go into teaching, um, it's a strong opportunity so they can you know then recognize. Well, I have you know if they're teaching someplace, I have this student who reacts well to this, so I will use this method to move this forward and so forth. So. Um, it works very well, you know, even in professional theater or um, student teaching. Um, you, you've mentioned the Post Playhouse a couple times, and, I, and you have some involvement with that. How, how neat of a thing is that for our region and um, that, having that type of professional theater? But also how encouraging is it for your theater students to have the opportunity for something that down the road? I know that it's in the summer, and so mm -hmm. it's kind of tough, but... Uh, talk a little bit about the Post Playhouse. Well, it's, the Post Playhouse has been, it started um, as a part of Shadowland State College. Um, through, you know, through the years, it's slowly become an independent entity. And um, Shadowland State still strongly supports it. In fact, I don't think the Playhouse could exist without uh, Shadowland State College still being supportive of them. Um, but the, play, the Playhouse is, is a professionally run theater. It is a theater as opposed to, and I was talking to somebody about this, um, opposed to educational theater where we can take, you know, these, a type of risk where we're not worried about the, how much audience we get in. That can't be one of our criteria. It's one of our hopes and desires. We want a large audience. But ultimately, it's what the students are going to get out of the production is why we choose 
one production over another. The Post Playhouse, on the reverse, is tied very um, tightly to the audience. Um, they will pr produce shows, um, and it's not producing shows that are guaranteed or that everybody will love. It's producing shows for the wide range of variety that exist in the panhandle. Um, everybody, I mean, talking to audience members from the Post Playhouse, everybody enjoys a different type of show. Um, and it's hugely beneficial for any of our students who that go out there. In fact, nearly um, every student that has worked out there is working, um, either working professionally or student or teaching theater. And so it's a it's a wonderful experience, and again, it's that network. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of our Anna Owen um, costume. She went here for with costuming, and um, she worked at the Post Playhouse. And she has her current job because one of the people that she worked with at the Post Playhouse contacted her and said, "Hey, this this theater group is looking for this person. I you know, I you know, take a look, see if you're interested." And she got the job, and she's out in Sonora, California, um, working as a costume shop manager, doing a fantastic job. Oh, that's wonderful. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Scott, tell us some about some of your interests outside of work and theater. What interest? <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it's truly a full-time job. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting in the, in the, in a very simple, I, I turn off the cell phone. Um, but I've all, you know, outside interest, it's, it's sort of tied, it's probably the outside interest is anything that takes, and it sounds kind of odd, it doesn't take me away from the creative process. I've always enjoyed the creative process. Um, one of the things that, um, that I, you know, I do is I've have I have this huge collection of comic books. Huge. Too big. <laughs> um, but you know what I'm doing is, you know, they'll they'll comics will sit in boxes, they'll be protected, and getting them out to read them is a great big pain in the butt. You gotta untake them out of the plastic, so on and so oh, yeah. forth, blah, 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 blah. And so they were just sitting there, but I discovered this group that um, uh, that actually take the will take the comics and put them into a hardback book. So now you can take up to tw you know 25, 30 comics, put them into a hardback book and have them sit on the shelf. So all you, if you want decide you want to read them, you just take them off the shelf just like any book and go through them. So um, when I get when I get time, I go ahead and because you can design covers for them. So it, you know some of the graphic design ideas. Cool. Yeah. You know, working through that um, and so forth. So that's where I get, you know, where I'm able to shut down the theater side a little bit, but still still may be creative mm -hmm. because that's not, I found that doesn't go away. Yeah. It does, it's, it's a part. It's just like an English, it's just like an English teacher who um, can't write a bad sentence. Or a photographer who can't take a bad photo. Yeah, like yeah I'm reminded of yeah. um, in the Stephen King book Misery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was an allegory for addiction, but he was right. the, the writer talking about the gotta. You have the gotta. You mm -hmm. gotta do this right. one way or another. 
Yeah, it's the, it's the same thing. Um, you, you just find a, if you don't find a way to, um, you know, as some outlet that's different from what you do, even if it's just slightly different, um, then it becomes, you know, your work is everything. And that shouldn't be. No. That should be. And even within theater, most people um, within theater will say, you know, you find something outside of this. Find something outside of theater. This will take everything you have. and But you need to find something outside of this so that you can enjoy mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Uh, last question before we get to some quick hitting ones, Scott. How important is theater and the arts to a school like CSC and to the region? I think, I, well, I'm sort of biased on that. I believe it's important everywhere. Sure. Um, but, you know, one of the things is um, you have a lot of student, like, students come to college and they um, become very narrow-minded where they are only working with their, their degree. And... Um, and so it leads to leads you know to maybe one train of thought, but it just narrows the scope of experience. So being able to um, experience theater and the arts, even on you know even if it's an FYI, even if it's a you know elements course, or even it's um, just going to watch. Um, I've had a lot of students who um, got you know because they were part of a course who had to go see a show and then realized. Um, how great of an experience that is, you know, to actually see the show, um, see these live performers where they've maybe only seen um, video or taped or television, um, the, you know, that different experience. Um, and, if, you know, some, you know, sometimes it's, you know, going to the, uh, to the art gallery and seeing um, this, this work done by, um, people in the area or people outside the area or um, concerts and experiencing that. Um, you know, it's it's one of a kind. It can't be replaced. Um, and it just, it, does, it doesn't mean you have to open yourself up to different opinions. It just means you get new ways of experiencing. Um, you know, theater and art and music are and are a safe experience. Um, you can experience horrific ideas, horrific concepts within theater, but you're safe. You don't have to personally experience them. You let somebody else experience them, and you feel how they, you know, how they feel. One of the um, shows we did years ago was Extremities, and um, people their reaction to that. Um, was phenomenal because they, you know, they never considered some of the arguments being presented within that. They thought it was a simple black and white, um, but they never experienced some of the other opinions yeah. being being voiced. So it, you know, it allowed them to um, think differently. Yeah, great way to put it. It is. So I guess that's time for some quick hitters. Okay. So Scott, what was the first concert that you attended? It was the police on their Synchronicity tour. Nice. It was, the, it was the tour right before they broke up. <laughs> well, at least you got to see him before that. Yeah, I know. Was. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and I can't re- oh, it was a couple of other bands that are just completely nameless. I- <laughs> <laughs> we all have those. Yes. 
Well, the next one was, what is a favorite movie of yours? But I think maybe the more appropriate one now would be, what is a favorite comic book of yours? A favorite comic book would um, have to be this one that was produced in the 80s um, called um, Grimjack. It was just a wonderful, eclectic um, comic book. It wasn't one um, that very few people are, you know, rec- they knew it at the time, but it's, it has not been... Um, produced in a very long time it probably won't ever be produced again but it was um you know it was just one of those as you know the 80s and that during that time it was just a wonderful eclectic it was a a took place within this dimensional um void where different dimensions keep slipping in and out so there was always this different place Mm. to go to interesting Mm -hmm. would that work as a comic book movie adaptation it would be fantastic Especially with the new te- with new technology oh, and yeah. so on and so, but it's you know it's um, name recognition is so far gone. There's got to be just vast libraries of material that could be mined for that. You know, we think of all the oh, superhero yeah. movies that are out now, and, and who knows how. Oh, much. I mean, there's just I mean, there, just vast amounts of material. But you know, one of the things to recognize is all these stories still fall within the you know confines of the of a very simple. It's always about um, being human. Yeah. Yeah, I can. When you said that, it made me think of um, I used to collect comics and I would get a. They used to have a magazine called Wizard. I'm sure Mm -hmm. you've heard of it. And they, um, it was like the, like it would have value. Like this Mm -hmm. issue of X Men is worth $13 or whatever. And um, they always had things in there. And this was in the mid 90s where like, oh, the perfect comic book movie, the comic book mm-hmm. adaptation of X-Men or whatever. And like, it, it seems so far away. My friends and I were like, oh, I can't wait for comic book <laughs> movies. Because comic book movies used to be terrible. Oh, they used to. Yeah, they did. And they were like uh, B movies. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just kind of funny. I mean, that was, I suppose it was a generation ago, but um, we've come a long ways in 20 some years. Yeah, the <laughs> shift. Uh, so Scott, if Shadron State College wasn't the name of this place, uh, what would you call it? Oh, I've got, I thought I saw that question. I thought a whole bunch of ridiculous ideas. But I, <laughs> I've got nothing. <laughs> I, got, I mean, there was this whole bunch of, you know, um, the Boogie Town University, but it, just, it makes no sense. Hey, it doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> it makes no sense BTU. whatsoever. BTU. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Scott, how many times have you been to the top of Sea Hill? Oh, not enough lately. Um, when, it, when it first got here, you know, dog walking, so on and so forth. I think you've been up there, you know, at least once or twice a week for a while, but I haven't been up there in years. As as you can see, luckily this is not tape. <laughs> Wait, what's that? <laughs> but yeah, not haven't been up there in years, so it's been a while. What was the last one here? Yes. Favorite play of yours. I'm sure that's a simple question. Actually, it kind of um, a play that I've always wanted to do again is um, a play called Our Country's Good. And um, it takes place in, you know, in the beginning of the Australian country, you know, where um, it literally it, these criminals and such have been dropped off there and basically say, make a society, um, make civilization, do what you will. We're done with you. Um, and what, it, what it, the play revolves around is the criminals and um, the the warden, so to speak, try coming to terms and trying to create this society. And ultimately what they do is they, you know, 
they kind of turn to theater in order to find answers. And so it's a wonderful um, experience working through that. And it's one that I would dearly love to do again. Hmm. Fantastic. Well, I think that's all we have. So thanks a lot for coming okay, well, in, Scott. Thank you it was for good having to talk me. to you.